right, we are in a, a teaching series that we have called Gone Fishing, and uh, we're telling some fish stories. Don't sound so excited. Uh, when I was a kid, one of the things that uh, our family liked to do was to go fishing. Anybody else kind of grow up in a, in a bit of a fishing family? So, so we liked to go fishing. To be honest, we did a lot of fishing. We didn't do a lot of catching, but we did a lot of fishing. And um, when I was a kid, I thought going fishing was exciting. I thought it was exciting, but the actual practice of fishing was not always that exciting. Anybody else had that experience? And quite often we'd be out there and I'd be thinking to myself, you know, why are we doing this? Especially if it was cold or rainy or we'd been out there forever and nothing was happening. I'd be thinking, can we go home now? Like, why are we doing this anyway? Well, one time we were out fishing and it got way more exciting than it should have been. But for all the wrong reasons. Uh, we were living in Manitoba at that time and uh, near Winnipeg, and we would go out to the Whiteshell Provincial Park area uh, because that was part of the Canadian Shield. There were actually trees there and, uh, and lakes and, and rivers, and so we would go out there to go fishing. And one time, uh, our family went that direction. We didn't get all the way, but we went to Pinawa, Manitoba, and we took the old canoe, and uh, we put the canoe in the water, and Dad and I got in to do some fishing. And you need to understand that the community of Pinawa is on the Winnipeg River. And the Winnipeg River is a serious river. Uh, in fact, they've, they've dammed a lot of that river up to generate hydroelectricity. It's, it's just a major river in that region. And so a lot of the river around Pinawa actually looks like a lake because of all these hydroelectric dams that are in that vicinity. So it's, it's kind of confusing. So we put the canoe into what we thought was a lake. And we put in our rods and our reels and our, and our tackle boxes and, and the stringer and the fishnet. We put on our life jackets and we shoved off and we started to fish. And to be honest, we were like the disciples we talked about last week. We fished all night but caught nothing. Well, actually, it wasn't all night. It was maybe only 30 minutes, but it seemed like it was all night. And so we're fishing away when suddenly dad looks behind him to find that the lake that we thought we were fishing on was actually a river and we were floating backwards down this river right into some rapids. Now, did I mention that the Winnipeg River is a serious river? It's, it's, it's a huge river. It's a powerful river. People drowned in that river every year. And to be honest with you, all of a sudden, I was scared. Our peaceful little fishing expedition had suddenly become much more exciting than it should have been. And so dad reeled in his line as, as fast as he could. He dropped his rod in the canoe and he grabbed his paddle and, and he started paddling for all it's, he's worth and, and he's yelling at me to, to help him. Did I tell you last week this whole thing about being quiet when you fish is a myth? <laughs> so he's yelling at me to you know, help him paddle. And, and so I'm sitting in the front of the canoe, right? So I just cast, so I'm reeling my, my line in as fast as I could and, and I throw my rod into the canoe and I reach around to grab the paddle and when I grab my paddle and bring it out, I knock my dad's fishing rod into the river as we're floating backwards down into the rapids. And at that moment, I did what any sensible, loving son that did not want to get yelled at anymore would do. 
Uh, I lunged for my dad's rod as it began to sink. We're in a canoe, floating backwards down a river into some rapids. Did I mention this was more exciting than it should have been? Well, it was only by the grace of God that not only did I not flip the canoe and did I actually not fall out of the canoe, but I actually caught my dad's fishing rod by the hook (laughs) in my finger. And so now we are floating backwards down a river into some rapids with me with a paddle in one hand and a fish hook in my other hand with my dad's rod dangling down into this river. Well, dad eventually did paddle us out of the current and uh, he was able to to fish his rod out of the river and get some slack on the line and I was able to to pull the hook out of my finger and and it hurt like crazy and and there was blood and, and, and I was scared and I was thinking, why are we fishing? Who wants to fish? Because at that moment, I just wanted to go home. I didn't want to do any more fishing. Of course, dad dumps the water out of his reel and starts fishing, right? That's what dads do. But why do we have to fish? So last week, we started this new teaching series called Gone Fishing. And I mentioned that we're getting some help on this series from Andy Stanley, a brilliant guy. So he's just kind of helped me shape this a little bit. But we started talking last week about how when Jesus called the first four guys to follow him, he was very clear about his expectations and his agenda for their lives right from the get-go. He made it very clear. He said, hey, come guys, follow me. But if you follow me, I'm going to make you into something. I'm going to make you into something. And it was something they probably didn't understand. It was certainly something they didn't expect. And it may have been something they didn't want. Because, you know, we'd expect Jesus to say something like, you know, follow me and I will make you more spiritual. You know, follow me and I will make you more religious, or I'll make you into a better person, or, or I'll help you love God more, or, or love your spouse more, or love your kids more. You know, follow me, and, and I'll make you more successful, or, or whatever it is. But when Jesus called those first guys to follow him, he didn't say any of that stuff. He went a completely different direction, and didn't give any of the reasons that we would typically expect Jesus to give, or that we would want Jesus to give or that we would expect Jesus to give because Jesus said, what did he say? Come follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. I'll make you fishers of men. And last week we learned that if we start following Jesus, Jesus says to us the same thing. To follow is to fish. To follow Jesus is to be fishers of people. But that begs the question, why? Why do we need to fish? Because that's probably not why any of us became followers of Jesus. We didn't become followers of Jesus because we wanted to be fishers of men. No, we become followers of Jesus because, you know, we had stuff in our life that we wanted Jesus to take care of, right? 
You know, maybe we had this sense of emptiness inside of us. There was this, this void in our life that we just were searching to fill with something. And finally we realized, you know, that emptiness in my, in my heart is it's a God-shaped hole and only God can fill it by Jesus and by his spirit. Or maybe, you know, we, we had done some stuff in our lives and we had this, this sense of, of, of guilt or, or this sense that, you know, we needed to be forgiven. We needed to make things right. Or, or maybe we had some healing that needed to happen either in our, our emotions or, or in our body. And we were searching for somebody that could heal us. Frankly, some of us, we came to Jesus just flat out because we didn't want to go to hell. Right? I mean, that, that's why we came to Jesus. And, and Jesus says, you know what? Those are all good reasons to, to come follow me. But you need to understand that if you're actually going to follow me, it's never going to be just about you. It's never going to be just about what I can do for you. In fact, if you're going to follow me, you need to understand that to follow is to fish. And we go, whoa, 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 whoa. That is not what I signed up for. I mean, why do we have to fish? Why is that our job? In fact, some of you are sitting out there going, why is that? You're not some, it's your job, pastor. You're the preacher. You're the fisher. <laughs> and Jesus would go, no, 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 no. If you're following me, it's all of the followers' jobs to fish. And we push back and we go, well, you know, I, I don't understand this. Like, why can't we just let people believe what they believe? I mean, most other religions just let people believe what they, they want to believe. They just let, let people be. And in fact, people don't like it when we get pushy about our faith. You know, this whole idea of, of being fishers, well, that's actually kind of offensive, I mean, we're going to get under people's skin, especially in our inclusive culture, because we like to conclude everybody, right? So why do we have to be fishers of people? You know what? That's a great question. And here's why we need to talk about it. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know, sometimes we just think that we can just keep all of our religious thoughts to ourselves. We can keep this Jesus thing to ourselves, And we need to know as followers of Jesus that to follow is to fish. The follower of Jesus is, is not just to be a person that kind of goes to church. It's not just to be a person that, you know, kind of prays prayers or, or maybe puts money in the offering. There's more to it than that. And if you're not a follower of Jesus... I'm glad you're here because we're going to talk about why this fishing thing is such a big deal to Jesus and why it needs to be a big deal to us who are followers of Jesus. Because if you're not a follower of Jesus, chances are you think like our culture thinks. You know, that religion is actually a problem. Religion is what's kind of blowing our world apart. Or that, you know, religion maybe isn't necessarily bad as long as you don't get too fanatical about it. And it really doesn't matter what you believe because all religions lead to the same place. You know, it's, it's all the same thing. You know, just different paths to the same God. And it just kind of depends on where you were born. It depends on the culture you were raised in. It depends on your upbringing or it depends on the choices you make. If, if you explore other religions, you know, that's all good. But, but we think that, you know, our culture thinks that this whole idea of trying to convert people, well, actually that's 
That's really the biggest problem with Christianity. That's what's wrong with Christians. And Christians just need to quit being so arrogant and quit being so obnoxious and just let people be. And if you think that this morning, I'm really glad you're here because maybe we can help you understand why we think it's important to tell people about Jesus. In fact, why Jesus himself thought it was important for his followers to fish for people. So to talk about this, we're going to look at another story about a couple of the guys that we were talking about last week. We were talking about Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Peter and Andrew were brothers. James and John were brothers. They were all fishermen in the Lake of Galilee. And uh, this story that we're talking about is about two of those guys, Peter and John. And uh, this happened a few years later, a few years after Jesus called them to follow him. In fact, a few, uh, it was after Jesus died and rose again and ascended to the Father. And the story is actually found in the book of Acts, chapters three and four. And Acts is the, is the fifth book in the New Testament. So you've got the Gospels, the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you've got this, this book of Acts. And, and it's another history book. And it tells the story of what happened to the followers of Jesus after Jesus ascended back to the Father. So we're going to dive into Acts chapter 4 specifically, but for Acts chapter 4 to make sense, we need to understand Acts chapter 3. And now you're thinking, dear God, he's going to preach two whole chapters of the Bible. We won't get out of here till Thursday. But we're, we're going to try and get it quick, okay? Just let me tell you the story real quick. So, so Acts chapter 3 starts with Peter and John, and in my notes I put P and J, and it's not I have to keep reminding myself it's not peanut butter and jam. It's, it's Peter and John. And uh, they're going to the temple to pray. It's, it's 3 p.m. because, you know, they're, they're followers of Jesus, but they're still Jewish. In fact, remember, Jesus himself was Jewish. And, and so they still have these Jewish traditions that in, in, in many ways were, were very good. And so the Jewish people had their, their prayer times at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And so they were going to the temple to pray. And, and as they go into the temple to pray, there's this lame guy that's sitting by the gates begging. And that was a very strategic place for this guy to sit because, you know, people are going to pray and, and you want to get on God's good side. So, you know, we're going to be nice to people. And so we're going to give the beggar there a few alms and then we're going to go in and pray. And maybe God's going to go, hey, they're pretty good people. Let's answer his prayer, you know? So, so he's strategic in his placement and he's sitting there and he's begging. And it says that Peter and John looked at him. They caught his eye and there was something in that moment. There was something that happened. And Peter actually said, look at us. And it says the guy snapped his head around and looked at them expectantly because he thought these guys are going to fill up my little coin or my, my little can full of coins. And then Peter and John said something that must have just been really, well, frustrating because they said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. And the guy's like, great, next, move along. <laughs> You're just getting in the way. But then Peter says, but what I have, I give you. And the guy probably thought, great, what's he going to give me? You know, maybe a coupon to McDonald's. Well, maybe he's going to give me some advice. You know, that's, that's what I need. I need advice. But no, what, is, what does Peter say? In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, what? Get up and walk. And it says that Peter took the guy by the hand, pulled him to his feet, and that man that had sat there for 40 years 
lame in his legs, began to walk. And then he began to leap. And then he began to run. And he began shouting praises to God. You know, I think when we read these stories, we read them way too fast. Can, can you just imagine what that moment must have been like for a moment? I mean, it must have been absolutely electric to see this guy that had been sitting there for 40 years suddenly walking and leaping and praising God. Remember one time when I was a teenager, we were attending a church in Edmonton and it was a fairly quiet, subdued church, but they were Pentecostal church, believed in praying for people. So they had a prayer time in the middle of the service. And it was just a very quiet prayer time, kind of, you know, quiet service like we're having here this morning. And uh, one of our our guys, uh, one of our young adults, uh, well, a young couple, well, no, he wasn't a couple. He was a part of a couple. He was, he was a young man, married man. Um, came forward, and uh, just the way he was moving, you could tell that, that he was in pain. And In fact, we knew that, that, that he had real issues with his neck. I think he had been involved in an accident and had some whiplash or whatever, and so his neck was all messed up. And so the pastor and one of the elders went to pray for him just, just very quietly, and so I was sitting there strumming my guitar, and, and all of a sudden, this guy in the middle aisle puts up his hands and yells at the top of his lungs, I'm healed! I'm healed! I'm healed! And he's moving his neck and he's bending over. He's, I'm healed. You know, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. It was, it was an amazing, amazing moment. Well, even more for, for this guy, because I mean, this guy had been sitting there for, for 40 years and everybody knew him because every time they'd walked into the temple, they'd seen this guy sitting there for all of their lives. He was a fixture. And now he's doing laps around the temple running and shouting and praising God. And every time he came by Peter and John, he'd give him a high five, give him a hug, and then he'd go do another lap. Now, you know, we don't always condone running in church, but if you've been lame for 40 years and God heals you, you can run all you want. Feel free, be blessed. And, and so there was this incredible commotion that's happening. And, and so all of a sudden this crowd starts to gather around Peter and John. They go like, what's going on? What's happening? And, and so Peter realized he had an opportunity here. So he starts telling them all about Jesus and Jesus healing power. And verse 16, he says, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Now you need to remember that everybody knew Jesus. They'd seen Jesus, they'd heard Jesus, they'd seen miracles, they'd seen healings, they'd heard his teaching. They'd also seen him crucified. And now there's this this healing virtue that's beginning to flow again. And so Peter's telling them all about Jesus. And just before Peter can get to the altar call, the priests and the temple guards show up. And this was bad news. Because you need to remember that it was the temple guard actually that was the goon squad that came and arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so these, these, were, these, were, these were serious guys. And they arrested Peter and John and they threw them in jail. That's what happens when you heal somebody that's been lame for 40 years. <laughs> Get thrown in prison. And so Peter and John sit in jail overnight. The next day, the, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, call an emergency meeting. And you got to understand that that Sanhedrin, it was kind of like the Supreme Court and uh, the chief of police and, and the, uh, uh, the religious 
you know, ultimate religious authority of the land all kind of rolled into one and they brought the two disciples before them and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? How have you healed this guy? And again, Peter and John tell the story and we're gonna come back to that in a moment. But eventually they, they kick Peter and John out of the room to deliberate and you gotta understand, they were ticked. I mean, they were furious. They were absolutely frustrated because they thought they had solved the Jesus problem, Right? I mean, they had schemed for, for months how to get rid of Jesus, and finally they, they had pulled it off. And now here are these guys not only talking about Jesus, but they're healing people and giving credit to Jesus. And they're like, you know, we can't deny this guy's been healed. He's been sitting outside the temple. We know this guy. He's been sitting there for 40 years. We can't deny that he's been healed. He's walking. He's running around. He won't shut up. So what do we do? We're losing control. So they said, you know what? At this point, the best thing we can do is we can try and intimidate these guys to get them to quit talking about Jesus. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Don't talk about it. You know, that's still the message of our culture, isn't it? Don't talk about it. You can believe it for yourself. That's fine. You know, you can even raise your kids in it. You want to send your kids to Christian school? Go ahead. You know, you want to do all that kind of Fine, whatever. You can go to church if you want to go to church. But don't talk about it. I mean, especially in public. I mean, that's just one of the things. You don't even bring that up with your friends. We don't talk about that stuff. And, you know, if you want to believe it, fine, go ahead. We don't care what you think. We don't care what you feel about this stuff. You can think and feel whatever you want, but just keep it to yourself. Especially this stuff about Jesus. So they said, never speak or teach in the name of Jesus. I don't care how many men get healed. I don't care how many lame people, you know, really? So Peter and John come back with this. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? And, and the irony of that is that, I mean, an amazing miracle has just taken place. This guy's life has been changed. And, and these were, were all religious men. They were Jewish men. They all believed in the same God. They all had respect for the temple and the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses. And, and they were all on the same page except for one small thing. Peter and John wanted to add Jesus to the story. They saw Jesus as the fulfillment of the Jewish story. And they said, we have been commanded to be his witnesses. And you think God would rather us obey you or him? And then they said something that is very important. They said this, we cannot stop telling about everything we, what? Everything we believe. Is, is that what it says? We cannot stop telling about everything we believe. Everything we think. Everything we contemplate. Is, is that what it says? No, 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 no. And friends, we need to get this. We cannot stop telling about everything we have what? Seen 
and heard. This is important because this is the foundation of the Christian faith. This is the cornerstone. It's about something we have seen and heard. And the reason Peter and John couldn't keep quiet about Jesus was not because of what they believed. For them, this was not and has never been about a belief system or a theology or an idea about what God is like or how to be a good person or how to be a religious person. For them, this was not and has never been about an idea or a philosophy or a doctrine or a morality or an ethical system. Because here's what most people misunderstand about Christianity. In fact, here's what even a lot of Christians misunderstand about Christianity. Certainly the, the high priests and the, and the Jewish religious leaders misunderstood this. And, and they, were, they were people, I mean, they knew the Old Testament scriptures in painstaking detail. And they could argue theology for hours on end. But here's what they didn't understand. They didn't understand that Christianity isn't based on a belief. Christianity is based on an event. It's based on an event. Because Jesus and his followers, you know, didn't go off kind of into the corner of the desert and sit around and say, you know what, we're really tired of this Jewish thing. You know, this, this, this Jewish thing, it's been around for, for hundreds and, and even thousands of years. And, and, and it's old. It's really old. You know, we should come up with some new ideas. We could call it the, 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 the new thing. Oh, no, no, no. No, we, we could call it the new covenant, the new testament. And then we'd, all this other stuff we could call the old testament, and we could have the new testament, and we could do this new thing. Great idea. Let's, let, you know, what, what could we, we, we could just add a bunch of stuff. We could add a bunch of stories, and we could start a, a, a new Jewish sect. We could start even a, a new religion. Well, that was never their thinking. When asked to give a reason for what they said and what they did, they always came back to this very one important thing. We've seen something. We've heard something. In fact, Peter and John would say something that, that happened right here in this city. Something that literally happened just a few weeks ago. And we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Because there was an event that took place. It was an event that changed everything. And we saw it and we heard it and we can't shut up about it. It's almost like when the Raptors won the NBA title. Those of you that are basketball fans living in Canada. Can you imagine if the Maple Leafs won the Stanley Cup? Oh, dear Lord, it would be insufferable. Uh, you know, just, nah, nah, nah. they wouldn't be able to shut up about it. Or if the Canucks won for that matter. Anyways, you know, when something happens, you get excited. You can't stop talking about it. But this is way bigger than that. So what was it? What was it that Peter and John saw? What was it that they had heard? What was it that was so big and so important that they would be willing to risk their life for it? What was it that it would cause them to disagree with their own religious leaders? 
and to reformat the faith that they had been raised in since childhood and, and their parents and their parents' parents and their ancestors? What was it that would make them willing to be imprisoned for their faith? What was it that would make them willing to be banished as John eventually was to a desert island or to even be put to death? Well, we had skipped that part. So we're going to go back to the, to the little speech that, that Peter gave during the interrogation. In fact, you should go home and you should read Peter's sermon in chapter three when he's talking in the temple to all these people that are wondering about the, the, the lame guy because he says some amazing things. But, but let's go back to the speech. And, and the religious leaders had just asked them how that they'd done this healing. And, and then it says, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Like, Really? Are you serious? And he says, do you want to know how he was healed? And I was going to say, it's like, do you, want, do you really want to know? Are you sure you want to know about how he was healed? Because he says, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, and then watch what Peter does. This is, this is nasty. <laughs> he was healed by Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Awkward. Do you get the sense that that was maybe a tense moment in the room? Because remember who Peter was talking to here. These were the very same guys who had Jesus arrested. They were the same very guys that had put Jesus on trial. They had carted Jesus off to Annas' house, and then Annas had sent him over to Caiaphas' house. And then together they had manipulated Pilate into crucifying Jesus. And now Peter's saying there, listen, you crucified this guy, but something happened. Come on, Caiaphas. Come on, Annas. You remember Jesus. You remember that guy? I mean, this wasn't something that happened a long time ago. This was something that had just happened. They had had Jesus arrested and then scourged and crucified and, and killed. And, and Peter's like, you know that they put his body in a tomb. You know that that happened. But you know those, those rumors that you heard? those rumors that you tried to suppress, those rumors that just didn't go away? Well, they're not just rumors. They're true. Jesus didn't stay dead. Yeah, you put a guard at the tomb, but remember, you paid the guards off when the tomb was empty. And you know why we can't be quiet about this Jesus guy? Because John and I, we went and we stuck our heads in the empty tomb. We actually saw Jesus alive. And not just once, but we saw Jesus alive many times. And not just us, but over 500 of his followers. We've seen Jesus alive. And now we understand that Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. 
And so Peter's pulling this, this reference out of the Old Testament Psalms and the religious leaders, because they knew the scripture in detail, they knew exactly what Peter was saying because this was a very famous Psalm, a, a Messianic Psalm. In fact, this was a Psalm that they had quoted when Jesus had made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem riding on the donkey. They were shouting, you know, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, this is from the same Psalm. Peter says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Peter is quoting, well, actually he's paraphrasing that Psalm because the actual Psalm says, the stone the builders rejected. Peter says, the stone you builders rejected. Basically he's saying, you know what? The good news is, is that this prophecy has finally been fulfilled. Good news. The bad news is you're the dumb builders that are trying to get rid of the cornerstone. Jesus actually was and is the Messiah. He is the savior, the deliverer, the mighty ruler that we as uh, the people of God have been waiting for. And you need to understand that it's more than just a theory. It's more than just an idea. It's something that has been proven by an event because the man that you crucified, God has raised from the dead. So we're not talking just about some philosophy or some idea or some belief system. We're talking about news. We're, we're, we're talking about an event. We're talking about something that happened. And you need to understand that, that this, this changes everything because it proves that Jesus was the Messiah. It proves that Jesus was the Son of God. It proves that everything that Jesus said about himself was true. It proves that he has the power to forgive sins and the power to give life. And it proves that his mission of salvation was actually successful. And they go on and say, because there is salvation in no one else and God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That's a big deal. Is that a big deal? Seems like a big deal. In fact, that's what makes Jesus different from every other spiritual leader. That's what makes Christianity different from every other spirituality or every other religion. The man you crucified, God raised from the dead. And, and Annas and Caiaphas and the religious bigwigs didn't like it, just like so many people today don't like it. You know, they say, well, that's so narrow. That is so, so exclusive. That's, that's so arrogant. You know, you can't say that. You can't say that that's the only way to get in God's good. I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm a, good, I'm a spiritual person. I'm a religious. Peter, John, how dare you say that? But here's the thing. Peter and John didn't say that. Well, they did, but they were quoting Jesus. Jesus is the one who said that. You go back to John chapter 14. John is the gospel written by John, the guy that's there standing with Peter. And he says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus himself said. And if Jesus can say that and then predict his own death and resurrection and actually pull it off, then you know what? I think maybe we should listen to him. Do you know what the gospel is? You know, as, as Christians, followers of Jesus, we, we talk about the gospel. You know what the gospel is? It's news. 
That, that's what the, the gospel is, always has been, always will be. The gospel is, is not just a, a belief. The gospel is, is not a prayer that, that you pray. It's certainly not a philosophy or a morality or a religion or a theology. No, no, the gospel is a historical event. It's about something that happened to a person. And any beliefs and any theology and any thinking that we would have would flow from this event. But at its primary foundational, of course, the gospel is news. That's why quite often in your Bibles, you'll find it translated instead of, you know, this is the gospel. That's how the book of Mark starts. We started started talking about that last week. It starts with, you know, this is the gospel according, no, this is the good news sometimes it says. And it says that Jesus went around preaching that the kingdom of heaven is, that he went around preaching the gospel. He went around preaching the good news. It's news. That's what gospel is. And friends, that's why we need to talk about it. Because it's news. It's, it's something that people won't figure out on their own. Uh, the message of salvation through Jesus Christ uh, is not something that's self-evident. You know, it's not just kind of like an intuitive thing that, that you can kind of come up with on your own. I mean, you can be very spiritual. You can explore all the mysteries of spirituality. And, you know, you can think there that, oh, I, you know what? There must be a God. I mean, I mean how did we get here? And, and I just sense that, you know, there, there must be a God. And you can think, oh, you know what? There's got to be an afterlife because, you know, I just, there, there's, there's got to be more to life than, than just this. And, and so, you know, we can sense that we need to worship and that we need to pray and meditate and that, that we need to pray and, and, and we need to, to be a good person. And, and we can even try and blend ourselves in with the power of the universe or whatever kind of spirituality we, we think that there is. And, or, you know, you can be very philosophical. You can wrestle with the reality of good and, and evil. And you can think that it's important to be moral, to, to be nice, you know, to, to be a good person. And you can have all of these great ideas, all these moral ideas, all these spiritual ideas, but no matter how deep you think or, or how hard you imagine, unless someone tells you the news, you're never going to figure it out for yourself. I was trying to think of an example about this, and it just so happened. Did you know that, that yesterday was International Observe the Moon Night? Did you know that? In fact, I'd come up with this illustration and something popped up on my Instagram that last night was International Observe the Moon. And frankly, I didn't even go out to observe the moon. I, I think it was cloudy, but it was Happy International Observe the Moon Night. So pretend that you have never read or heard anything about the moon. You've just seen the moon. You don't know anything about science. You don't know anything about modern history. You just lay outside at night and you stare at the moon and you sit there and you think, oh, what is that moon like? You know, I wonder if that, that, that moon is like, is it made of cheese? You know, like, it's like there, there's a man on the moon. Like, is, is that a person? Like, is that somebody's face? And we can have all these ideas about the moon and we can wonder what it is and why it kind of gets smaller and then it disappears and then it comes back and, and then sometimes it, like, it blots out. The, you know, all these, like, what's up with the moon? What is it about the moon? And you can stare at the moon and think about the moon all you want and you're not gonna know those answers. But you know what? You don't have to figure it out. Because 50 years ago on July 20th, 1969, 
Apollo 11, put a couple of guys named Neil and Buzz on the moon. Man has actually been there. And we learned some stuff about the moon. It's something that happened. It's a historical event, but it's not an event you're going to know about unless somebody tells you about it, right? You're not going to dream up this story about Buzz and, and, and Neil going to the moon and they're going to say one small step for man, one giant step for mankind. I mean, you're not going to be able to think about that. Imagine it yourself because it, unless somebody tells you about it, it's, it's an event. It's something that happens. And yeah, there's going to be people that say it's a hoax, And there's going to be people that say it's just a big conspiracy theory, but any reasonable person who hears the story and examines the evidence is going to believe it because it happened. Friends, it's the same way with the story of Jesus. It's it's not a myth. It's not a religious idea. It's not some kind of legend that somebody cooked up. It's news. It's It's history. There's historical evidence that you can actually examine. And why do we as followers of Jesus need to actually open our mouths and tell the story? Because that's the only way that people are going to know. That's the only way people are going to find out what Peter saw and what John saw and what Peter heard and what John heard. They said there's salvation and no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And people can complain that that's narrow and exclusive and arrogant. But you know what? Instead of reacting to the last part of that verse, we really need to focus on the first part of the verse. There is salvation. There actually is salvation. And, and friends, it's, it's not just an idea. It's not a wish. It's not a dream. It's actually something that we have because Jesus came to this earth. He lived his life. He was unjustly condemned. They killed him, but he didn't stay dead. You know what? If your ship is sinking, don't stand there and criticize the lifeboat. Just get in. Get in. That's why years later, another follower of Jesus by the name of Paul wrote, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Aren't you glad somebody told you? I'm so glad somebody told me. Somebody told me the news. And as Stanley says, the reason we fish is because our faith is grounded in history. And you don't know history unless somebody tells you about it. And it's not because people can't be good. It's not because people can't be spiritual. It's because they'll never know the message of salvation unless somebody tells them because it's through Jesus and who he is and what he has done. 
Peter and John standing before the most influential, intelligent, religious men of their generation said, we can't stop telling about everything we have seen and heard because we understand that there is salvation and no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Why do we need to fish? I'm going to pray in a moment, but maybe there's somebody here this morning and you say, you know what, Darcy, I've never really understood what this Christian thing is, is really all about, but this morning as you're talking, it's like a light bulb just kind of went off in my head. I get it. I get it. And if you're here and up to this point, you probably wouldn't define yourself as a follower of Jesus and you know what? Like I said last week, it might even be that you come to church. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home. I, I, I get all of that. But if you never really understood that it's about believing in Jesus, who he is, and what he has done, rooted and based on the historical reality of his death and his resurrection. But this morning, you just kind of feel like that light bulb has gone off in your head. You need to respond to that. And you need to say, Jesus... I get it. I believe. You're unique. What happened to you has happened to nobody else. And because of your death and your resurrection, I can be saved. That's all it is in coming to Christ. And now I know we often, we will pray a prayer and we'll invite Jesus into our heart. And you know what, that, that's, that, that's, that's a good thing to do. It's, it's kind of like a, a trigger thing to do. It's, it's, that's our, it's our way of expressing that. But ultimately, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's coming to an understanding and an acceptance of who Jesus is and it's putting your trust in him and what he has done. That's what saves you. So maybe somebody's here this morning and you say, I'm in. I get it. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've been following Jesus and you've been wrestling with this whole thing, why fish? And you just need to understand it's because salvation through Jesus is not something that people are going to understand on their own. It's not something that's self-evident. It's not really something that's intuitive. How are they going to believe if they've never heard? And we need to understand this morning, and, and the light bulb is going off in your head as well, that it's not about being a better person. It's not about being more spiritual. It's not even about having all the answers, because Peter and James were getting asked, or Peter and John were getting asked questions they, they didn't know the answers to. Frankly, it's, it's not about that. It comes down to the news, that there is salvation in Jesus because something happened. Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to pray for any of my friends here this morning that have maybe...